Welcome to the Vox Community Podcast. Learn more about Vox Community at voxoc.com. Join us at 10 a.m. on Sundays at voxoc.com slash live and at the El Dorado Performing Arts Center. Good, well, good morning. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Filipino denim duo. <laughs> it's going to look a little different this morning. Um, Canadian tuxedos? Yeah, we just signed on a new contract with uh, UConn for yeah. uh, <laughs> the new... <laughs> oh, man. I, I just saw that. I'm walking out. and like, yep, we match. 2019, we match. starting off with the 2019. Bang. That's how this is going to go. Hey, welcome. Welcome to Vox. I'm Ronnie. This is Andy. Hello. Uh, we are excited for this year. This year's got some cool stuff, and uh, we're excited to talk about that. We'll share a little bit more uh, this morning. A couple things before we get started. Who are we? Who is Vox? Vox is a community uh, that believes that you're safe to belong, that you can come in with questions and doubts and skepticism and all that, and this is a place where we can talk about anything. Uh, on that, we also believe that this is a place that is here to serve the world, not stand in judgment of it. And so uh, you'll kind of experience some of that as we go through our service and just being, spending time with our community. And so we want to invite you more into that. Um, this next year, some things are going to change. Uh, one of the things is it's not no longer Q&A. We're calling right. it Q&R, uh, question and response, because answer kind of has this assumption that somehow we've arrived at an answer and that's it. Um, and that's not the reality of how we look at it. It's not who our community is. It's not who I am. Um, I really think that there is uh, just a better dialogue when we talk about question and response. So this is my response. This is my experience to it. This is what I think. This is what I believe. This isn't the end all be all. And so uh, hopefully that will spark something inside of us together collectively um, that will hold things loosely as we talk about different subjects and stuff. So uh, questions are invited. If you have questions, uh, we have a text number throughout the service. You can text those in. Uh, we actually have some from the uh, last couple weeks weeks, but we didn't, we haven't been meeting. And so it's been crazy. So we're going to get on those next week. Yeah. Next week. So yep. back with that. Yep. A couple quick announcements as we get started. What do we got? Uh, let's see. Uh, throw up that event slide with the, uh, the big three for January. Big Art. stuff. Big stuff. Yep. Big screens. Yep. Here we go. Yep. 10. So there it is. Joke's on you Nine. guys. Nothing. Eight. Wait for this. The timing's <clears> coming. <throat> So next week, I'll just All start right. talking. Next week, uh, uh, we're doing our first workshop, a right. spiritual practice workshop, which I'll be hosting um, on prayer. So it's going to be a three-hour lecture, one-hour practice, college-level course. Kidding. Come on. Uh, it'll, it'll be quick. It's going to be an hour. It'll just be a chance for us to get together, kind of talk about our experiences with prayer, what's that been like, um, good or bad, and then maybe give some practical tips for uh, experiencing that, and uh, it'll just be a good time. Well, it'll be our first run at it, so we're going to have some fun. Um, so come. It'll be after service at 1145, probably uh, over where we have our last meeting. Um, and then let's see. Do we have another one? I don't know. Nothing's coming up. Okay. Hey, Gary. What up? <laughs> He's waving his hand okay. at me. Okay. All right. What's the All next right. one? We'll, we'll see what's happening. Care workshop. Um, I do know the one after that is the uh, our culture and uh, church and culture uh, workshop. So um, that's going to be on January 20th. So that's the, the following Sunday. Um, both of these are after Sunday uh, workshops. And so what we're going to be doing throughout the year is offering... Um, a space where we're going to be doing uh, topical discussions that relate to church and culture. So uh, I've uh, sent out a survey to you guys. Many of you have filled it out and uh, given me back. If you have not filled it out, go to voxoc.com. The survey's there. 
Uh, fill that out and let me know. On there includes a lot of the topics that we're interested in discussing, but we want to know if you guys want to talk about them too. So informing oh, us that, that that's the case. There Gary, we go. you rock. Um, that would be helpful. So uh, we're actually going to be doing uh, Women in Leadership is actually going to be our conversation for January 20th. Um, our uh, female community pastors are actually going to be the ones facilitating that conversation and talking about their experience, answering your questions, and uh, doing a bit of a conversation on that. So that's January 20th. And then, yeah. and then, yeah. Then Vox PM. Uh, that will be January 27th. For those of you who haven't heard, if you have been hiding behind a rock or something, uh, we are on the last Sunday of every month, we are having Vox PM, uh, which is a gathering together where we'll share a meal uh, for a couple hours. And then after that, um, we are going to have it open to serve the community in different ways. And one of the ways that we'll do that is showcase artists, um, musicians, different people. It'll be uh, live podcasted when we're interviewing those people. Uh, it'll be a place to really serve the community. And the why behind it is really because we think that the church should exist to serve the community around itself, not serve itself. Uh, and so this is a way to open up space to invite the local community in Fullerton, around Bray, and all that sort of stuff to come in uh, and experience uh, what uh, what Vox PM is. And right. so we'll have some different things. We've already lined up some artists. We're going to work on some final details. Uh, but that's that's an invite to everybody. That's that's one of those invite your friends, your neighbors, your friends, whoever to come uh, and, and be a part of that with us. So Right. So that means we are not here on January 27th in the morning. So if you come at 10, you doors will be doors yeah. are closed. You will be alone. Yeah. So um, yep. even Gary won't be here. Yeah. But go to the website. All the information is there. Uh, we're really excited about it. Uh, we've done a few things where everyone's been able to get together and eat, and uh, it's it's such a great experience. So that's coming. Yep. Sorry guys, we have a lot of announcements. It's the first of the year, and there's just a lot to get through. So, um, care, care workshop. workshop slide. Do, do, do. There it is. All right. So uh, throughout all of last year, um, one of uh, kind of our extended visions was. Uh, offering you guys more resources around uh, mental and spiritual health. So we ran four workshops um, last year. Um, all of them were full and well attended around between 40 and 50 people for each workshop. Um, these are free. Um, Carrie has been the one that's been um, hosting these. And so that's, it's kind of an extension with our partnership with Freedom Movement and all the resources that Carrie is a part of. So our next one is going to be on March 12th. Um, the topic is silencing the lies of the inner voice. So um, yeah, what is that? That's kind of funky, right? Um, but it really has, uh, Carrie is um, excited to kind of take you guys through um, a conversation on understanding um, what does our past tell us about ourselves for the future? You know, what are the things that we listen to that kind of determine how do I act now? How do I act then? And um, sometimes some of these things we hear that in our experiences can uh, be negative bias and kind of you know, cause us into a direction that actually isn't the greatest direction. And if anything, we might be realizing I've been living by a lie. And so um, Carrie wants to kind of go through that and uh, walk you through what it means to kind of go back into some of those things and learning how to listen to your conscious, learning how to kind of probably understand the difference between the, the voice of the Holy Spirit versus the voice of yourself and, and the voice of the adversary. And so uh, that's there. That's free. Um, sign up on the website, voxoc.com slash events. All the events, um, sign up there. And then the last thing I have to say before we go, uh, life at the table. So um, last year, uh, we did start um, a, a Facebook group um, that was really intended as a way for you guys to directly connect with each other for participating together in the community. Meaning, if you want to meet people by going on a hike or meeting up at anywhere to eat dinner or whatever it be, this is where we would invite you guys to start that channeling and that kind of networking. Um, this is moderated and hosted by our community pastors. So they are creating events along the way, inviting you guys into different experiences. So if you go to our Facebook page, the group is linked to that. Um, the link is also there 
boxoc.com slash Facebook on our website. That'll get you there as well. But if you're looking to actually try to connect with other people in the room and in the community and, and start doing some stuff together uh, individually, uh, we encourage you guys to, to do it this way. You could start your own events um, and go that way and, and yep. do that. It's good. So, really empowering you guys. Bonnie's here today. Bonnie's going to teach. Yep. It's going to be great, but we're going to do a couple songs of worship. Man, you guys tired from standing around listening to us? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Me All too. right. We're out of here. All right. See you Have guys. a good morning. Somebody told us that um, they were skeptical because they'd never seen me and Izzy in the same room, but here we are. So you can put that conspiracy theory to rest. All right. Happy New Year. I love when you guys talk back, like in a nice way. I have some people in my home that talk back in a not nice way. So I appreciate this. Um, okay, so before we start, I want to just say something I've done. I think we have a screen. I did something. I'm doing a thing, and I'm writing a Bible translation, and it is on Kickstarter. So I just launched it on um, Friday. It's been up like 36 hours, and we're about 10% um, funded already. And so we have a month to fund it. If you go to this website, um, bit.ly bit.ly forward slash Tim Shell Project. You can find out everything about it. And um, this week I'll be doing some live stuff on my Facebook page and on the Kickstarter page about what it is, why it's different, why someone's allowed to write a Bible translation, and all that good stuff. So anyways, I'm excited. Would appreciate um, just you guys checking it out if you want. Um, so today we are in Ezekiel 37 which is uh, the story of um, the Valley of Dry Bones, it's called. So um, let's just pray first, actually. That would feel good. <clears throat> Jesus, thank you uh, for this great group of people that feels so much like home, um, not only to me, but for so, so many. God, I ask that um, your words would be not only present, but just prominent this morning that whatever it is that you want us to understand about you and the way that you work and the way that you love, um, that we would. Um, we love you, Jesus, and we are grateful for the opportunity to meet together, and we are grateful um, for the opportunity to know one another. You are so good. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so um, <clears throat> Jerusalem has been seized by Babylon, and the entire city has fallen. That's where we find ourselves in this chapter. Um, so let's try to picture what that might be like. Um, you are an Israelite, and you belong to a holy group of people, and you have a history that tells you that. You have a set of beliefs that believes in that. You orchestrate your entire life around that, and part of it is that you live in this holy city of Jerusalem, and it has fallen. Babylon has taken it over, and it is gone, and everything that you own is no longer yours. People that you love have been killed, and um, you have actually left the city, and you are in, in a foreign, unknown land. The language 
that the scriptures talk about you in Hebrew, the word that they use to describe you is a twofold meaning. One meaning is a deportee and the other meaning is a survivor. You were literally deported, taken out of your homeland and you were asked and told and forced to go somewhere else. And so you're there and you have nothing. You have lost everything and you are waiting and people are still sort of trickling in and every time they trickle in you are hoping that they have better news than what they have but they are just reporting such awful scenes of what's going on and you don't know what's next some of the people that you love are there with you some of the people that you love are not it is just this time of utter despair and grief. Everything you've ever known has literally been taken from you. You have been forced away and you don't know if you are going to survive this. So this book um, is all sorts of different genres, right? It's poetry, it's very poetic, the book of Ezekiel. It's prophecy. Ezekiel's a prophet, and he is coming to bring a message to God's people sent by God. Um, and it's also a parable. There's some things in there that um, we can take as metaphor. And so a lot of that is happening here, and that sort of sets the stage. Now, the language of prophecy that's used here actually mirrors that of other Mesopotamian sources. And I really love that because actually through scripture, when we look at the language of the books and we look at the literary genres of the books, we see that God always does this when he sets up his own stories. It's he takes a language or a genre of the day and he uses it to create a brand new biblical language and biblical genre. And I love that he does that because he does that in life at large as well. He takes something that we know and then he changes it and he revamps it into something new, into something that he knows. And I think that's really gracious of him. He doesn't come in out of nowhere, but he talks to us and he speaks to us in ways that are familiar to us to get our attention and for us to understand that he's with us. So let's dive in. Verse one. It should be up there too. Um, <clears throat> the hand of the Lord was on me, and he brought me out by the spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. So this is a vision, okay? This isn't actually happening. This is a vision that Ezekiel is having. He led me back and forth among them, among the bones, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. So Ezekiel, um, in, even in his dream, he walks into this valley of bones. It's basically a huge graveyard, but the bones are exposed. And uh, the metaphor here is that this, these bones is actually the people of Israel. And um, they are without hope, and they are despairing. And for all intents and purposes, he is seeing that their future, or who they are as a people, that it is dead. And it says that the bones are very dry, which means that they have been there for a while. Which begs the question, if this just happened, how come the bones are already dry? And so we actually, if we look at Ezekiel as a whole, it turns out that there was a slow spiritual death happening and then the physical fall of Jerusalem was just sort of the icing on the cake for it. 
And so we get into that in a little bit. But what's interesting about this passage too is that it actually wouldn't have been okay for a person like Ezekiel, for a prophet to walk among the dead because then he would be made unclean. And I find it interesting that commentators point that out even though it's a dream. But the truth is, is we all sort of do stuff like that, right? We all have rules or rituals that we follow and then we even try to do it in our dreams. We hold constructs very closely and very tightly. And when I read the fact that God led him into a place that would normally make him unclean, it really reminds me of Jesus in healing on the Sabbath. That when it comes to people, when it comes to God interacting with people and healing and bringing life, he just doesn't abide by our constructs. He always says that healing and life and health are more important than what we've decided is not okay. Verse 3. <clears throat> and so uh, God asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I said, Sovereign Lord, only are you alone? No. So God asks Ezekiel this question, right? He says, can these bones live? And what does that actually mean? Well, first of all, the afterlife wasn't necessarily a part of Ezekiel's mindset. That's not something that they thought of like you and I think of. And so that's probably not what he's aiming at. But also the truth is, is God doesn't need an answer here. He's not actually looking for Ezekiel to give him an answer. Sometimes, all through scripture, we see God asking rhetorical questions of his people. In the book of Genesis, I can think of two. First, um, when Adam and Eve have eaten from uh, Eve's eaten from the tree and they have no clothes on, God says, where are you? He knows where Adam is. He hasn't lost Adam. He knows where he is. But what he's asking symbolically, where have you gone from me? And he's asking Adam the question to say, I'm inviting you to come to me and tell me where you are, where you're at spiritually. I'm inviting us to dialogue about this. And then he asks the same thing when Cain kills Abel and he says, where is your brother? He knows exactly where Abel is. He knows what happened. But he wants Cain to come to him and he wants him to dialogue. And so when we see a question in scripture that seems obvious that God should know the answer, we should be alerted that that's God asking us, inviting us into a journey. And so when he asks Ezekiel, can these bones live? He wants a conversation. He wants a dialogue with Ezekiel and with us and with his people. So I have an eight-year-old son and um, <clears throat> he asks so many questions and I absolutely love it. And um, the best part of the questions he asks is that we try really hard to step back, some places play dumb, and let him try to figure out the answer. And it is the absolute joy of my life to hear how that brain is working, right? I mean, regardless of whether or not it would be the answer or the same route that I would get to get there. The joy is in the process of him figuring it out and watching his brain work. And then we dialogue about it. And so when he asks me a question, he is asking me, hey, let's figure out this answer together. And that's the joy of it. And so for God, the end result 
is part of the joy, but the invitation, the relationship, is in the dialogue. And he wants that from Ezekiel, and he wants that from us. Verse four. Then he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life and then you will know that I am the Lord. And so the metaphor still stands. It's about the spiritual life of the Israelites. It's about the fact that they feel as though they have been cut off, that they have no hope, that everything that they have based their life on in this holy city and who they are and that they serve this God who saves and they were doing it right, is they feel as though it is gone. And so God is asking Ezekiel, do you think these bones, do you think these people can survive this? Will you as a nation be able to survive this? Will you be able to rebuild? I've asked myself this same type of question when I've suffered a great loss. And I'm sure if any of us are human, which I think you are, you have too. It's totally okay to suffer, to lose things, to have the death of a dream, a person, a hope, to lose a job, to a relationship be destroyed, and to say, am I going to be able to rebuild? I think certainly if God asks this of people and asks Ezekiel this question, then we can give ourselves permission to ask that too. Because again, God is way more interested in the journey of figuring out if that's a possibility for us than he is in the actual end result. Verse 7. So I prophesied <clears throat> as I was commanded. Then I was prophes- and as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together bone to bone. I mean, can you imagine? When I didn't know um, the background of this, I often thought it was like a, li- like a, a literal story. And I was like, oh my gosh, like freaking out about it. And um, still the image of it. Like if this was a dream you had, you would wake up and be like, what did I eat? Like, that was weird. Um, Because the picture is that God is making these bones human again. Like, it's an actual little life performing right before his eyes. That's what's happening here. And um, we'll keep reading. He says, um, verse 8, I looked and tendons and flesh appeared on the bones and skin covered them, but there was no breath yet in them. And so then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Come breath from me, or from the four winds, and breathe into these slain that they may live. And so I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath entered them. They came to life, and they stood up on their feet, a vast army. So he's in this graveyard of bones, 
He prophesies, they literally become human again, and then they stand up and it's a whole powerful army with the breath of God in them. And what's beautiful about this is that this is reminiscent of creation language, right? It is God breathing life. It is God saying, look, even here when I made these people people again, when I put flesh and tendons and everything came together, it is not until my breath was breathed into them that they were fully alive. Because if God started his people and started the world by breathing life into them, then certainly he can do that again. So verse 11. Then God said to me, son of man, these bones are the people of Israel. They say, our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We are cut off. So let's just review for a second. God, um, in this dream, he makes these bones come to life and he breathes life in them. And then God says, these people are saying that they have no hope. They have no hope. And I look at that and I think, how, how could that be possible? How could that be possible? How could it be possible that um, you have this whole history of God being faithful and um, you still think that you have no hope? And to be honest, even as I'm reading this, even as I'm reading that God is putting back these pieces back together and these people back together, and he's raising up this army, I still sort of, like a little bit, am like, I think I might doubt that too. <clears throat> and so I don't necessarily blame them. But I think that's because it depends on how we define the word hope. If they're saying we have no hope, then I'm interested in wondering what the definition of hope is when we read that. What is it for us? What do we think of? What is it that we, um, what is it that we picture? Where does hope come from? What are the things that we hope in? Because we hear that a lot, right? Like, oh gosh, I really hope there's not a long line at the DMV. That's fine. I really do actually hope that. Um, but for you, let's just, um, I love hearing you guys say stuff plus it like just it keeps it punchy, keeps you awake. Um, what what is um, where, where do you think hope comes from? What does hope mean to you to have hope in something? There's no right or wrong answer. Like I literally just told you about the DMV lines. Anyone? Because I I have time, so I'll just wait. <laughs> Oh, interesting. Okay. So you expect something, but you're like, well, like maybe not though. Yeah. Right? Okay. Why do you think that is? Do you think, like for me, I think it's because I don't want to be let down. Would you agree? Okay. I would agree too. I just, I'm, I'm literally dial, like I, I am asking you these questions because I'm interested in dialoguing with you. Um, who else? What does hope mean to you? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, like I'm hopeful that this is going to be fine. Yeah. yeah. Great. Yes. Okay, a belief that something good is going to come or happen. And would you say that that, um, what fuels that belief for you? 
Yeah, I think sometimes it's kind of nebulous. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Uh, my husband says um, gently that I'm a pessimist. I'm like, I think that that's wrong. I think I'm a realist. So we'll just work on that. Okay, who else? Okay. Yeah. Okay, interesting. Okay, perfect. So you're hope you're finding hope in God, not necessarily, tell me if I'm saying this right, not necessarily for a certain outcome, but knowing whatever the outcome, because it's orchestrated by God, it's okay. Is that what you're saying? Great, great. So it's not necessarily what you want to happen. Right, totally. Been there, sister. Okay. <laughs> Anyone else? Yes. Yeah. Gosh, isn't that like rough? I agree. Yeah. It is like a. It's a little bit of a tough pill to swallow, I think. Because I think hope is, is actually the acknowledgement, like we are all saying, if we could combine all these definitions together, that there is something that's happening beyond our control, and um, we, we would like to believe that it's going to go the way we, um, nope, we would like to believe that it will work out, and we might not go the way we want, but um, we have a greater belief as to why that might be happening. So let's, um, you guys, thank you. I love you. You guys are so fun, and I learned so much from you, which is why I love doing this. Um, okay, but let's, let's read what Scripture says about hope. All right, so um, Romans 5. Um, I really relate to this because I've, I've said this to you before, but um, <clears throat> when we had, when we lost our, our second child as a stillborn, I delivered him as a stillborn, and when that happened, I... Um, it resulted in major um, PTSD, which resulted in OCD and anxiety. And it um, has been a long road. That was about five years ago. And um, two years ago, we had um, our daughter scout. And so for me at that moment, it was really redemptive, right? It was um, this coming sort of full circle moment. And then there was a lot of little things that had happened um, that also were very, very redemptive. And so one might think once that was resolved and once that was sort of redeemed, and for if we're going to use the metaphor of this passage, once there was life put back into that dry area for me, once something was breathed into that space and shown healing and restoration, that my OCD and anxiety would have gone away. But actually, it got worse. It actually became worse for me. And why is that? And I think it's because, as to your point, what you were saying is that if hope is based on everything working out okay, 
then we should be fine when it works out, but sometimes we're not. Sometimes God puts life, bones, and takes them and puts skin on them and tendons on them and breathes back in and he's redemptive and you get that job and your relationship works out and you have a healthy baby or you get pregnant or whatever it is and still we feel hopeless. Because it can't be, hope can't be based around everything working out the way it should. Which is why the Israelites, when it didn't work out the way it should, that's why they said, we have no hope. So Romans 5. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have a peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, this is right, sorry. (laughs) Um, And through whom we have gained access by faith into the grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we are also glory in our sufferings. Here we go. Because we know that suffering, suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance produces character, and character produces hope. And so for a long time, I really believed that hope was because something's just got to work out. And like, if I'm basing it off of what the world says, the world basically says if the stars are aligned and the temperature's right and you hit all the green lights, it should work in your favor. It's mathematical. You can't be struck by lightning twice. You can, actually. And so we can't actually base everything on the hope that it's going to work out because what Scripture is telling us here is that hope isn't an arbitrary emotion that we can just conjure up whenever we feel like something going our way that hope is actually the end point of this entire long road of a journey. It says here, suffering produces perseverance. And then once we've suffered enough to persevere, our perseverance produces a new character in us. And then once that new character is developed, then we produce hope. And so hope is actually this ending point of this severely long journey that we have endured. Hope is something that we earn because first we suffered and then we persevered and then we endured and then God changed us and then we found hope. And so it makes total sense to me We suffered the loss of our baby. We persevered through the grief, through the loss, through how it changed us. God used that to build a new character in us, to change the way that we were, to change the way that we looked at him, the way that we looked at the world. And finally, after that, when I realized that it wasn't have anything to do, although I am so incredibly grateful for two healthy children, I could still live that story and not have hope if I hadn't endured the rest. Because as Ezekiel says, and as we see God asking us continually through scripture, is that he is all about the journey. He is all about walking through us in all those stages. I think I used to think that God was hope at the end of it, 
that like, if only I could get past this and once something good happens, then I would find God. And the truth is I probably missed him the whole time is that he's in the suffering, he's in the perseverance, he's in the endurance, he's in the character. And then of course he's in the hope. But he's interested in the journey that takes us there. Let's go back to Ezekiel 37 verse 12. Therefore, prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. My people, uh, yeah, my people, I'm going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Let's just finish it. Um, Then you, my people, will know that I am Lord. When I open your graves and bring you up from them, I will put my spirit in you and you will live and I will settle you in your own land. And then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and I have done it, declares the Lord. So let's go back. Uh, Verse one, it was the spirit of the Lord that sent Ezekiel. Verse four, I will make my breath, or verse five, I will make my breath enter you and you will come to life. Verse six, I will put breath in you. Verse eight, skin appeared on that, or uh, tendons and flesh appeared on them and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. I lost count. I think it's 10 in the whole thing. Verse nine, Prophesy to the breath. Come breath. Come breathe. Verse 10. The breath entered them and they came to life. And I think that's the last. Oh, spirit. Verse 13. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord. When I open your graves and bring you up from them, I will put my spirit in you. The same word is used throughout the entire passage. The Hebrew word is ruah. Can you say that? With some gumption. There you go. Ruah. It is multiple times, and it means spirit. It means breath. It means wind. And we see as we take a step back and how many times it is put here and when it is used in creation, that it is actually in this text, it is the glue that is holding the whole thing together, is God's life, God's spirit, God's breath. It takes Ezekiel out into this dream. It binds everybody together. It breathes life into them. And then it is the breath that they are able to move on, that they are able to rebuild. The wind, the breath, and the spirit of God is the very essence that brings life. And it is the only thing that can actually bring real life. I don't know if you have experienced this, but there is something holy that happens in community. 
see these dry bones, right? They were a bunch of individual people standing as an army, but it wasn't until the Spirit of God entered them that they were able to rebuild, that they were able to find hope. See, hope is found actually wherever the Spirit is moving. It is this idea that God is doing something and we can trust in him. We can trust in that. We can trust in the fact that we can rebuild because it is his spirit that is going to sustain us. We can have the best health of our lives. We could be in the best shape. We could have everything going our way. But if we do not have the spirit of the Lord, then we don't have much. As communities... We can come together, we can be activists, we can march, we can gather, we can host people, we can talk, we can do a lot of things, but there is something sacred, there is something holy, and there is something powerful when the spirit of the Lord is connecting us all. Because the differences between a group of people that are like-minded but don't have the spirit of the Lord in them and moving them, and those people aren't following the spirit of the Lord, the differences is that is merely something that people are passionate about. But when a group of people come together, And it is God's spirit that is sustaining them, that they are following, that is moving them, that like the wind, we can't always see, but we can come together and we can follow them and we can have hope and who he is and what he is saying and what he is doing. And we can see the fruit of his spirit everywhere. The difference is, is that is a revolution. That's what brings people to life. That is what rebuilds in a time of chaos. Now, the best thing I love about this whole thing is that this started out with people who had no hope. It started out with people who suffered, who endured, who persevered, who developed a new character, and then they could welcome in the Spirit of God. Then they could be connected to one another and rebuild and move on in faith. And I think the reason why I love that so much is there's such an aspect there of vulnerability. Nobody had anything. Their possessions were gone. Their loved ones were gone. They had no home. Probably no food. Probably not a lot of water. They were now foreigners. Everything they had ever known was taken from them. They were on a journey. And still, they had the spirit of the Lord. And so I think sometimes what we do when we come together in communities is we have this innate sort of desire or just knee-jerk reaction that we bring our best selves to the table. But guess what? We don't have to do that here. We don't have to. We can all come and bring the worst version or maybe just the version you showed up to today and you can bring that to the table. Because it does not matter where you are in your journey because God is with you. The Spirit of God is with you and that's what connects us. 
And sometimes if we leave our best version of ourselves at home, we get to look at each other and we get to say, me too. We get to say, I see you and you see me and we have something connecting us that's bigger than these circumstances and I will walk with you and you will walk with me through the suffering, through the perseverance, through the endurance and together we will find hope through that. And the reason why we do that is because we can't always see what the Holy Spirit is doing and we can feel it but our best picture of it is when we come together as a community and we say, you are not alone. And so this new year, when we have resolutions, and I think they're really good, I have a few. One is to drink a green juice every day, and I've already failed. <laughs> That's not hard. You can buy those. And my other one is to work out regularly, but like, I'm not Wonder Woman. So I think if I hit 60%, I'll be good. But the world all around us, all around us tells us, you put on your best self, you always achieve your best, you always do everything, and you should do it alone. And you know what? When you do, hopefully, it's going to work out okay. But God just doesn't work in those constructs. And what a relief, because I can't even drink a green juice every day. So how in the world am I going to get over my OCD and anxiety, right? Amen? The truth is, is that we don't have to bring our best selves to the table because God isn't asking us for the answer. He's not asking, where are you? Because he doesn't know. He's not asking where your brother is because he doesn't know. And he's not asking if you're going to survive what you're going through because he doesn't know. He's asking because he wants you to leave your best self at home and he wants you to come vulnerable and willing to a dialogue, to a conversation, to a sitting. The best expression we have of this is the table. It's communion. So the band's going to come up, and I'm going to ask us to leave our best selves in our chairs. That when we come forward today, I'm going to pray, and then you can come forward at any moment that we would come forward with a willingness and just an acknowledgement that maybe God is asking to be a part of this journey. That it's okay if we don't have hope because we're still sort of in the process there. But that we just don't have to pretend here. I speak at churches a lot. And I have to tell you that this is my absolute favorite because there is a sense of freedom and a vulnerability here that it just isn't elsewhere. Because you don't have to pretend. You don't have to achieve. You can just be you. And that's a gift. So I'm going to pray for us. And we're going to come to the table together. There's gluten-free here, I think. Pretty sure. Um... And we're going to come to the table together, just open and willing that God wants to be a part of this journey. And that as a community, it's the spirit that connects us, and that's what will see us through. Dear Lord, I thank you for the ways that you use your word, never ending throughout history that it's so deep and rich that we get to come and we get to learn and we get to set our best selves aside.
that when the world tells us that we always have to perform and we have to be our best and we have to achieve the most, that we know that that's not true. We know that the journey matters maybe even more sometimes than the end result. Because maybe when we come to you, we realize that that's where the richness is. That the hope that we find at the end, whatever you have stored up and waiting, whatever good thing is at the end of this course, is merely the cherry on top, but that the producing of the character, the perseverance, that that's where the richness lies. I pray today that your spirit would be present, that we could come together as a community in front of you, and we thank you that we can be the people you made us to be in whatever process we're in. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Guys, great job. Oh, always fun to have Bonnie with us. And so, uh, hey, Gary, maybe we could throw up Bonnie's slide again so people can see the information and the, the link to her, um, her uh, there it is, perfect. So if you didn't get that because it went fast during announcements, we'll just kind of leave it up after the service. If you want, you can um, write it down, take a picture of it. But uh, as always, thank you for coming. Thank you for being with us. 2019 is looking great. Um, we're excited for what's coming. Um, if you'd like to participate with this community, uh, either by serving or volunteering, you can go to voxoc.com. You can sign up there. We'd love to have you a part of our team. We have great volunteers who make all this happen. Uh, likewise, this doesn't happen um, without financial donations and giving. And so if you'd like to participate financially, you can do that online as well at voxoc.com. Or we have those participation boxes that are out there um, in the lobby and right here as you leave. Uh, that being said, we're excited for next week. Um, also, we're moving our, our start time. Five minutes, 10 o'clock. I know. <laughs> I know, I know, it's crazy. People are like, wait a minute, what's going on? Yeah, so the, the reason is because we have a lot of stuff after the service now with the um, spiritual uh, workshops and stuff. So uh, we're gonna just start five minutes early. Uh, probably won't change anything for most of you. But anyway, just thought you need to know that. We're gonna start promptly at 10 um, and we'll be done around 11.15. So uh, yeah, it's gonna be great. We'll see you guys next week. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Vox Community Podcast. You can join us on Facebook at facebook.com slash voxcommunity. Participate in the Vox Community at voxoc.com slash participate.